Well, good morning, you guys. Good to be together again on a day like today. If you haven't yet, could you open your Bibles to John 14? That's where we're going to be hanging out together uh, this morning. Um, Singer-songwriter Ray LaMontagne, uh, one of his first big hits is a song uh, called Trouble, okay? Uh, I love Ray. It's my theory we could all use a little more Ray in our life, okay? And uh, here's, here's verse 1 for you. He writes, trouble, 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 trouble. I had to read that, not because I didn't know what it was, but how many times, okay? Uh, trouble has been dogging my soul since the day I was born. You know it. It's good. Verse 2, worry, 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 worry. Worry just will not seem to leave my mind alone. You guys resonate with that? Yeah, you got problems? Uh, Earlier this year, uh, when we were still living up in Oregon, uh, my youngest daughter, Isla, she got to come visit me in my office one day while Elizabeth ran errands, and she went over and sat in this chair that most people would sit in when they come in for counseling or something like that, and I thought she looked so cute, this little person in this big chair, so I wheeled myself over to her really close, and I, I got down and I looked at her and I said, Isla, tell me all your problems just joking. And I kid you not, she looked at me and she threw her hands up in the air and she says, I don't even know what problems are. I don't even know what problems are. And I was like, man, I do not resonate with you, okay? I resonate with Ray, okay? I resonate with Ray. You might not use the word I'm troubled. You know, that might sound a little too Downton Abbey for you or something, but you'd say I'm anxious, right? You're afraid, you're you're torn up inside, You know, what is it that gets you through those hard times? Well, Ray has an answer, and it comes in his chorus. He he sings this. He says, well, I've been saved from his troubles, right? I've been saved by a woman. I've been saved by a woman. She won't let me go, no, no. And I remember hearing that song for the first time in college, and no joke thought, I need a woman like Ray, okay? That's what I need. What do you think you need? What do you think you need? What will actually save you from your troubles? Uh, Right out of the gate in our text, from go, what does it say? Jesus' words, let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't this amazing? In chapter 12, we are told that Jesus' heart was troubled. He's about to be crucified. Chapter 13, we are told that he is deeply troubled within his spirit. This is a night before he dies. This is the night where all of his friends should be providing him support. And yet, how amazing is Jesus that on this night of nights, he looks at his followers and he cares for them. It's incredible. See, they are uncertain about the future. Their fearless leader has just told them that he is about to leave, right? He's been their security blanket of sorts. And I'm sure you've been there, uncertain about the future, not knowing what's coming next, maybe some security blanket in your life, maybe it's a loved one, they're about to leave or they've just departed, maybe you've had some financial security and and now it's gone, maybe you've moved to a new city, you're around new people, starting a new career, a new season of life, the future is uncertain and maybe you're in that spot, You're, you're feeling it, right? You're feeling weak, exposed, alone, fearful, out of control, angry, anxious. 
God comes to you this morning in our passage, and He means to help you. He has a cure for you, a cure for your troubled heart. And the way He does that is by fixing our eyes on reality. What's that? Jesus says to us this morning that a cure for our troubled hearts is Him. If that seems too simple, He lays it out for us this morning. The first thing that we're going to see, Jesus giving us this cure of Himself as a cure for our troubled souls is this, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, and what He's telling us here is that you have a secure future. Let's look in verses 2 through 6. After Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is talking about houses and rooms, and he's talking about going away and to where his Father is and preparing a place for all of his followers that where he is, they will eventually be also. Well, what's going on here? If you're even new to this text or new to the Bible, what's going on? You could say Jesus is basically talking about heaven, He's talking about being in heaven with his Father, and there's going to be all these dwelling places so that you can be there with him. There's many rooms, meaning enough for even you to be there, right? And if you're like, well, not me, no, I'm you, even you. Uh, so, so this is what's going on here. Jesus is not going and just preparing a, a sweet um, place for you, okay, as if the house is the thing. He's not doing some HGTV makeover thing for you, like, I just got to get the new design in before you get here. That's not what Jesus is doing here. The point is that you get to be with God. The point is that it's God's house. That The house isn't the point. It's, it's a metaphor for living with God. Right? So this is important for us to realize because he's not offering them this cure for their troubled soul that is merely uh, offering them self-preservation. I'm worried about dying, and so maybe Jesus can preserve my life. That's not the emphasis here. What brings peace is that they get to be with God. How's that even possible? Well, Jesus tells them, well, you know where I'm going. And what does Thomas say? I I love Thomas. He's very factual. He's very literal. He struggles with doubt at times. He's a lot like me. You know, when I hear someone say, Jesus is the way, I'm like, that's awesome. What does that mean? You know, I don't know if you resonate with me or you're like me at all. But I love Thomas because he goes, he goes literal with this. He says, uh, we don't even know the destination, Lord, so how can we know the route? That's what he says. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, I forgot to explain that to you. Sorry, let's back up for a second. That's not what he says. No, They know, he knows that they know. They just don't know that they know. Okay, do you see? The destination is God. The route, it's Jesus. The route is Jesus. He's the way, right? He's the pathway through Jesus and only Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm a way. He says, I'm the way. 
See, when Jesus says that he's the way to the Father, what does that practically mean? Well, if you read the rest of the Gospel of John, you see that it's really everywhere. If you let me preach for an hour, right, I could lay it all out for us, okay? But I would be the only one who would enjoy that, I imagine. Um, But here, just a couple examples. Listen to the Gospel writer of John. What does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. They'll be with the Father forever. What does he say to Martha before he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, will live. We see this over and over and over in John. It's about believing in Jesus. What does it mean then to come to the Father through the Son, Jesus, who is the way? It means that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and that when he died, that he died for you. It's receiving that. It's, it's believing. Now, now this, is, this is a very challenging kind of truth for us today, one that the world would tell you is not true. I propose to you that every single one of these things that Jesus is laying out for us this morning, you'll see it in your notes, there is a lie that people in this world hold out to us that they offer it to us as, as this thing, this, this hope, this cure, but it's disguised as a lie. You see, people in this world, they, they will tell you the opposite. They will say, here's the cure for your troubled heart. It's that there are many paths to God. So just carve out your own path. But don't worry about this. Right? There are many paths to God, as if somehow believing that is going to provide a cure for my worries. Right? Might there just be other ways to God? Why is there only one way to God? I mean, there's so many people in our city even, people that you know, maybe even you this morning, that would say, oh, don't all religions just do the same thing? We're all, we're all just sort of climbing the same mountain. We're just going by a different road than each other. You know, some by car, some by train, some by foot, some by bus. You know, like we're a Dr. Seuss thing or something, I guess. It's no wonder that we're anxious. It's no wonder that we're troubled in our hearts. There's so much uncertainty, so many options seemingly. I mean, what if I choose the wrong path? What if I pick one and close myself off to the one that I'm supposed to? See, I've heard many people tell me throughout my life, why are Christians so held up on the fact that there's only one way to God? You would be so exclusive like that. Well, I think the simple answer to that is that when you read the Bible you become more and more acutely aware and you begin to wonder, why is there even one way? Like, we don't deserve God. How is there even a way? Why would God even make one way? You see, this is what sets Jesus apart from anything else that you'll find in this world is that he has come so that you could be brought to be with God. It's not that you would climb your way to the top of the mountain hoping that you could arrive there someday. Notice this, Jesus is not just pointing you to the way. He's not describing how to get there. He doesn't say, I'll show you. He says, I am the way. I mean, if you were to come to my house today, maybe this would help uh, get this point home a little bit. If you were to come to my house today, and you, we have two floors in our house, okay? And you were to ask me, um, how do I get upstairs, okay? I, I could point to you to the staircase, and I could say, it's that way right there. 
Um, I could even say to you, here, follow me, I'll show you, okay? I could do that, and you would get upstairs. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the staircase, right? I'm the staircase. See, if I didn't have a staircase in my house, it would be very challenging for you to get from the first floor to the second floor, right? It'd be funny to watch you try to get up there, okay? Just not be, I'm just being honest with you. Hey, but you could do it, probably, using other means. It'd be a challenge, but you could do it. Jesus isn't saying to you, I am the way, I'm the staircase, so to speak, and if you don't go through me, it's going to be a challenge, but who knows? Maybe you can grab some furniture or something. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's impossible. It's impossible. He's not just a good person. He's not just a great example. Jesus is not just a wise teacher. He's the Savior of the world, the one who speaks And people who are dead in their graves, like Lazarus, hear his voice and come walking out of them. He's the only one who can say this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, how can you know that he's the way? Well, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And that's what he leads us into next, this great promise that you really can know God. Look in verse 7 with me. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. It is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Maybe you're like Philip this morning, and so when Jesus says in verse 7, you've already seen him. You've known the Father. They've already seen and known the Father. Uh, Philip is confused. He kind of raises his hand. He's like, "Uh, hey, um, when did we do that? When did we ever see the Father? How how can you say that I know him? I mean, I want to. Um, In fact, that'd be great. Like, yeah, how about right now? You know, let's do it now. And and it's as if Jesus says, I don't want to wait. You know, he's saying to Jesus, I don't want to wait until you have to go and prepare a place and then come back and get me and then go to be with the Father. Uh, We'd love to see him now. My heart hurts now. I want relief now the distress from my soul. So if if you show us the Father, that'll be enough, right? That'll be a cure for me. And and what's Jesus' response? It's astonishing. Like, really, I know you've heard this before, okay? But listen to what he says. This is incredible. What does he say? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Have you thought about that? In other words, one of the reasons Jesus gives to why they should believe in him and and therefore not have troubled hearts is that the Father is already with them in a way. He's right here, Jesus says, because look at all this union language in verses 10 through 12. He's saying, he's in me and I'm in him and all this, this union sort of language of this Godhead being laid out for us. He's saying that 
in Jesus, God has made himself known definitively, gloriously, visibly. But these guys here, they don't grasp this about Jesus. Do you grasp this about Jesus? They had been with him for many years now, and yet they thought he was amazing, but, and they thought highly of him, but they seemingly didn't think highly enough about Jesus yet. Guys, seeing Jesus is seeing God. Knowing Jesus is knowing God. You really can know God. Do you see this? But this is not what the world tells you. The world instead would look to you with a troubled heart, an anxious heart, and and, and hold out for you this disguised cure that says truth is found in self-discovery. Truth is found from going within. It's always learning and never arriving. You know, this is this idea that, that don't worry about knowing God. You can't really know God. Have fun dabbling, but don't ever arrive. Have you noticed that? This world tells you that? That it's important to always be learning. You never want to, like, say to somebody, oh, I don't care about that stuff. I'm not ever exploring. Right? They want, that's acceptable. But what's not acceptable is to say, oh, I found him. That, that's not Okay. You see, the only way that you can truthfully make the statement, you can't really know God, which is, again, what our world tells us, is if God hasn't revealed himself. That's the only way. I I put it to you like this. If there were um, rumors going around Redlands that there was a man who lived in town, but no one had ever seen him before, and his name was Tom Holcomb, okay? Okay. and there was just all these rumors. Man, there's, if, you're, if you're new to Pathway, Tom's been here a long time. He's an amazing guy. I love Tom. If there were just rumors going around that there's this guy named Tong Holcomb. We don't even know how he got his name. No one, you know, he never revealed himself. But we all knew there was a guy here in town named that. And we even knew where he lived. And people would drive by his house at night and, oh, I see him now. I still don't see him. Right? We could all murmur amongst each other, you know, what is he like? And we could all give our own ideas. We go, you know what? Well, I heard... He's like six foot four, like 90 pounds. He can't even bench press like 30 pounds, you know? Like that's what I heard. And someone else is like, I heard he's six foot eight and 400 pounds of pure muscle, you know? Or someone else is like, no, 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 I once caught a glimpse. Or I knew someone who caught a glimpse once and he was sitting in his rocker at night reading poetry and in a robe and smoking a pipe. And, you know, that. so that's who Tom is, right? We could go around and around and around about who we think Tom is, can't we? And in a way, none of us would be wrong. This is how the world works with God, right? But what happens if Tom Holcomb walks out of his house one day and walks up to you and gives you a nice firm handshake and he says, nice to meet you, I'm Tom Holcomb. You got to conform to reality now. You can't just say, I don't think he can bench press 60 pounds, right? You can't do that. You can't just say, this is Tom for me. I think Tom's more like this. We can't do that. We know how this works. This is why C.S. Lewis said, when it comes to knowing God, the initiative lies on God's side. If, If he does not show himself, nothing you can do will enable you to find him. But here's the good news. God must reveal himself, right? And here Jesus is saying, I'm him, God in the flesh. Think about this. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't say, I'm kind of like the Father. I do a good impression. 
That's not what he says. I lived in California for seven years and then we moved to Oregon, okay? And uh, one of the few reasons why I was really sad to leave California was because there's no In-N-Outs in Oregon. I love In-N-Out, I love it way too much, okay? And people, when we first moved to Corvallis, would say, what do you miss? And I'd say, oh man, In-N-Out. I wish we had In-N-Out here. And no joke, I had so many people, there's a few Oregonians in this crowd, I think, I know some of you. But they would say to me, they go, oh, you don't need In-N-Out, we have Burgerville. And I was like, oh, sweet, we got a Burgerville? This is great. And I went and I had Burgerville. I'm here to tell you, it's not the same. <laughs> it is not the same at all, right? It's trying to do a good impression of In-N-Out, right? That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, I'm like Burgerville, you know? In and out, Father, but I'm like Burgerville. He's not saying that. Notice he's also not saying, if you've seen me, you get the general idea, but you gotta see God for himself. He doesn't say that, right? Do we have the picture here? Picture on the screen of, of something, right? Oh, look at that. What is that? That is Yosemite National Park. Glorious, have you been there? Yeah, it's amazing. What is that really, though? It's a photo of Yosemite National Park. I've met many people that have gone to Yosemite or many beautiful places, and let's just say this weekend you met someone who went to Yosemite, and, and like, I just went to Yosemite, and they're like, oh, man, how was it? Like, it's amazing. What do they do? They get out their phone, and they start showing you the pictures, and what do they never say? They go, man, look at this. Look at this list. Yeah, it's, just, it's basically like that. You don't need to go see it, right? You've basically seen it. No one says that. They go, oh man, you, this doesn't do it justice. You gotta go see it for yourself, right? It's not like we just get, I mean, if that was the case, we can get on Google and just travel the world and be like, wow, I've seen it all, right? It's incredible, who needs to go anywhere? That, that's not what Jesus is saying though, is it? He's not saying that either. He's not saying that you get the general idea, but you, you gotta see him, guys. No, he came and revealed God. Word made flesh. You don't have to wonder what God is like in and outs across the street, right? You're standing in front of Yosemite National Park, so to speak. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says the exact imprint of his nature. So here's the thing. Think about how glorious this is. You really can know God in so many ways. Have you ever wondered what God thinks about death? Oh, look at Jesus going to the cross and dying so that people who place their hope and trust in him will live. Look at him standing in front of Lazarus' tomb weeping. You want to know what God thinks about death? Have you ever wondered what God thinks about sin? Have you wondered that? Look at God incarnate hanging on a cross. If you ever wondered how God feels about the socially outcasts, look at Jesus going and touching lepers so they could be clean. People who no one in society would want to be around. Look at him dining with prostitutes, forgiving them, sending them on their way free and knowing for the first time in their life what it's like to feel clean. If you ever wondered how God thinks about religious hypocrites, look at Jesus' interaction with the, with the Pharisees. If you've wondered what he thinks about disease and cancer and blindness and deafness, Look at when the sick people come to him, how he heals them. But then he says, this is just pointing to the day when there will be no more. If you're doubted if God loves you, look at the cross. 
Right? If you've wondered if God is some egomaniac, I've heard people say that. Right? Look at Jesus getting down and washing his disciples' dirty feet. If you've ever wondered what God is like in the depths of his heart, look, listen, watch, meditate, stare at Jesus. Whatever, whatever your name is, I don't know all of you. Right? Whatever your need is, please listen once more when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you really can know God. He is the truth. What a cure for our hearts. He's the life. That's where he ends up. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He is the life, and what he's showing us here is that even in the midst of your troubles, we have a greater purpose. But that purpose is not our own self-advancement. In other words, how do you know that you believe in Jesus? If you really have believed in him as the way, Jesus says that belief moves from your head, just a knowledge thing, into your lips and then your hands. He's talking about you will do works. Anyone who believes in him will do these works. So you don't have to be an apostle and you don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be an author. Right? You don't have to be wealthy. Right? You don't have to be successful in that way. It's not one gender and exclusion to another. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You just have to be a believer. That's it. Anyone who believes in Jesus and what he's done will do the works that he has done. And he goes further, what does he say? It's the theme for our series, right? You will do greater works than these. In verse 11, he says, believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12, you will do the works that I do. We're going to do the same things that Jesus did is what he's saying. Can you believe this? What does he, what does he, what does he mean by this? I can tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean he's like, man, I raised the dead, but you're going to do something way cooler than that. He doesn't mean I fed 5,000 with, you know, five loaves and a couple fish, but you're going to feed 20,000 with a half of a loaf and a quarter of a fish. You know, that's not what he's doing here. What Jesus means by greater works has to do with quantity more than quality. See, when he walked the earth, he inhabited one body, right? But now he's leaving. And next week, we're going to look at how he sends the Holy Spirit to live in our lives. And now God's Spirit dwells in his people, and we walk throughout the earth doing the works of Jesus, the things that are near and dear to his heart, proclaiming the good news of what he has done. How? How? How is this life, that Jesus is the life, how is that experienced? When Jesus says, I am the life, how do you get there? How do you experience what he's after? Well, the answer to that actually, I think, is in looking at who the emphasis is on in this passage. If you notice it, you get a window into how this life is experienced. Look at who it's on. Look at verse 12. Jesus doesn't say this. But look in verse 12. 
He doesn't say, whoever believes in himself will do the works they've always wanted to do. Whatever you ask in your own name, this I will do, that you may be glorified. If you ask anything in your own name, I will do it. That's not what he says. Do you see the emphasis? It's clear when you look at the opposite. The emphasis is not on ourselves, but it's on Jesus. We see that here Jesus is talking about prayer, that we pray in Jesus' name. He's not talking about sprinkling magical dust over our words. He's meaning that we pray in such a way that Jesus would sign off on it. That what's near and dear to Jesus' heart is what we're trying to line up with. This is what he's saying. He's saying life is found in freedom from ourselves to be about what Jesus is doing in this world. But again, that's not what the world will tell you. This is the last lie. People will say to you, the cure for your troubled heart is more me time. Right? It's, they, this is more negative. No one would say it this way, but it's, it's self-absorption. It's being wrapped up in yourself. But Jesus is saying, life is found in being wrapped up in him. It's found in being wrapped up in him. He's saying freedom from yourself, not obsession with yourself. It's obsession with Jesus. See, this is the hard part is I think we look at the way and the truth and it's all about Jesus and we get to this verse. He goes, you will do greater works than these. And we kind of turn the spotlight on ourselves and we're like, what am I going to do? Jesus is like, no, it's, it's what I'm doing. You have a greater purpose. Uh, there's a, a famous street artist named Banksy. You've probably heard of Banksy, maybe. I saw this image years ago, and it was fascinating to me. Um, he has an image he painted on the street called Mobile Lovers. It's pretty good, right? He's like the real Tom Holcomb. I don't think many people have seen this guy. So, um, but seriously, he just pops up, paints these incredible things, and, and leaves. And, and I think, I saw this, I go, that kind of depicts often, I think, if I'm being honest, my own relationship with Jesus. Because he depicts our relationship with him as like a bride and a groom. That's our relationship with God. Right? Well, we, we, we think that we're wrapped up in him, but really we're very distracted. We're elsewhere. We're self-absorbed. We trick ourselves into thinking we're wrapped up in him, but we're not. And then eventually one day, we look at him and we go, Jesus, I thought you said you're the life. Why am I not experiencing life? And I would say Jesus would look at you if that's you and say, I have invited you into experiencing life, but it's not your life, it's my life. It's not your glory, it's my glory. It's not your name, it's my name. It's not your works. It's my works. I am the life. He's saying, take your eyes off your self-absorption and let's put down our symbolic iPhones. And we get wrapped up into Christ, just like in a marriage, right? If you've been married, you, you know this. When, when you get outside yourself and you start living for the other person, your marriage changes. So here's the thing, guys. I, prom- I promise you two things based upon this, this text here. I promise you that... It, if you live a life of self-absorption, self-promotion, self-centeredness, it'll eventually crush you. It'll destroy you. You won't feel like you're living. Why? Because that's not the life Jesus called you into. When your hearts are troubled, this is often what we do. We, we cave in on ourselves. 
I promise you, secondly, that life is actually found in the glory of another. Jesus. And when you pour out your life in his name, it's strange, but you will begin to realize more and more how much he's poured into you, how much you've benefited from him. What a cure for the troubled soul. It's not, I need more me time. It's, I I want to be free from myself and live for him, the God-centered life. I couldn't not think of this story this week because um, about six years ago, I was visiting some uh, missionaries in the UK who work with refugees. And they are seeking primarily to reach Somalis, which I don't know if you know anything about Somalis, but they're one of the most unreached, unengaged people groups in the world. Very hostile to the gospel, very tribal. And one day, we, we got, they invited some people over, a husband and a wife who are Somali, who came to faith in Jesus. I wish I could tell you their story for a long, long time here, but I can't. But, but the wife, I won't say her name, but she shared with us her story and it's, it fascinated me. She, she worshiped Allah, she followed Allah, she's, she's Muslim. And one day she opened up an email of someone who is Muslim, who prayed and praised Allah and in the name of Allah beheaded somebody. And she said it just shook her. She said it just troubled me to my core, disturbed me. And she quickly shut off her computer. And in that moment, she says, if that's what Allah is about, I want nothing to do with him. But she said, I went to bed that night and the whole rest of the day just so anxious, just so troubled, and I fell asleep at night finally. And while I was sleeping, I pictured, I had this dream where all of a sudden this roof of the house I was in by myself opened up and some person came down and picked me up in their arms and carried me far away to this other place where I could look back way like almost on another planet, she said, and see where I had been. She was the place I was in, and I can never forget, she goes, I can't even describe it to you, the words fall short, it was just so beautiful, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in my life. And then this person eventually just carried me back, put me down, and I woke up. She said, the whole next day I felt peace like I never had in my life. She goes to bed again. Same, that night, same, same exact story, same exact thing happens. She's like giddy, I guess. But as this person is carrying her back before the dream ends again, um, she said that this person just kept saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And she wakes up. She goes, I have never heard that before. And she Googles it. Google's helpful, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Pops up. Jesus is the one. So somehow, through that whole experience, this woman just gives her life to Jesus. And she says, I, I just have never felt more peace in my life. Even in the midst of her telling her mother, who was her best friend, Mom, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian now. And her mom looked at her and said, if I ever see you, I will kill you. She has not seen her mother again. And yet this woman, can you imagine that kind of trouble? This woman is telling us a story, just bubbling over with joy, describing this peace that she can't even explain. Why? Because she knows Jesus is the way. Right? She knows her future is secure. 
He knows he is the truth, that she really can know God. And she knows that he's the life. That she's living for a greater purpose way beyond herself. We talk about not living for, for self-absorption. You give up your family and everything to follow him. Guys, Jesus doesn't say that if you believe in him, your heart will never be troubled. Even Jesus' heart was troubled. But he says that he is the cure for our troubled hearts. Don't believe the lies. I pray that you'd believe in him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we are so thankful that you are the word made flesh, that that when we look at you, Lord, we can can know God. We we can know the Father. We just thank you for for what you've revealed, Lord, in this world to us, that, that you've come, that you've died for us, Lord, that you've defeated our death and you've given us a secure future. And and so I just pray, Lord, for anybody this morning that's just feeling it. They're feeling torn up inside or stressed, anxious about the future. Lord, I pray that they'd open up their hands and their heart to you and, and receive you, the one true God, as the peace for their hearts. Help us to look to you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.